everybody. This is the 12 Minute Dog Podcast. This is Mike Deeth with Emery Kittle. Hi, guys. Today, we are going to shift gears and we're going to talk nutrition and we're going to talk the importance of a meat based diet for dogs. And, Emery, this is where um, the ignorant is going to be silent and the smart one's going to talk. That means you get to talk a lot this week. Well, um, normally I'm pretty quiet, so that probably tells you where we're at most days. So, <laughs> so I mean, obviously, I know a lot of people will try to say dogs are omnivores. Mm -hmm. And I think the correct category is that a dog is definitely a carnivore. A scavenging carnivore. Okay. That's correct. So they might find things along the way when they have no meat as an option, mm -hmm. and they will eat plant-based items for sustenance. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we get into this and we talk about a meat-based diet, everybody sees all these bags of dog food that say chicken is the first ingredient, meat is the first ingredient. That is kind of a little bit of a shell game. And yes, it is. So explain that to us. How does that work? Sure. Well, when they say, um, like if a bag of food says uh, with chicken in it, the um, powers that be say that only has to contain 3% meat. So it says with chicken, uh, a 30 pound bag of food can contain less than a pound of, of chicken in it. So it's, it's pretty deceptive in a lot of the ways that uh, pet food manufacturers get around uh, things. So, but for instance, um, when it says real meat is the number one ingredient, that is true before it's cooked. If you, if you know how uh, things are, are measured in pet food, they're measured by weight prior to cooking. So if the ingredient is chicken, it's a great ingredient. Um, raw chicken is fantastic, but it also holds 80% moisture weight. I talked about this in one of my nutritional nuggets. And so once it's cooked, it loses that 80% moisture weight. It's not your first ingredient. It's the fifth, sixth, or seventh. So 10 pounds of chicken could end up being only three pounds of chicken. Yeah, or less. Or less. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Yep. So, and then, so you look at what the next ingredients are. That's mainly what you're feeding your pet. And that, that matters. So if uh, your next ingredient is corn and then corn gluten, not that we recommend corn, so soy, or wheat in dog foods, but that's mainly what you're feeding. So, and then if you uh, have a grain-free food, so it'll probably say potatoes or sweet potatoes or peas or lentils. And it, th normally those are split. There'll be like white, there'll be green peas. There'll be, you know, yellow peas. Right. And so when you add those together, that's the majority of what you're feeding as well. So I, I know that years ago when I worked in the retail world for dogs, um, we would, and I'm not going to say anybody's name, but there were a lot of dog foods that would use corn and wheat gluten as a protein. Mm -hmm. And they would say protein is the number one ingredient. It was that same shell game mm -hmm. where, you know, 60% of the protein might be coming from your peas, your wheat, your corn, things like this. And, you know, at times they would try to tell us that those things were there because it was a better source of protein than meat itself. And that never made sense to me. Right. You don't see the wolves, like, you know, chasing down corn in the, uh, in the cornfields, right? Right. So, well, yeah, in fact, uh, proteins are important. They, um, and proteins are where you get your amino acids. And you need essential amino acids to, to do a lot of things. You know, they, they regulate your hormone levels. They... They help create and um, and repair cellular issues, and uh, they're just there's a lot of things. They're the building blocks of life in pets. So um, you get the majority of the essential amino acids 
when your pet breaks down meat as opposed to plants. And so it's a lot more beneficial to feed a meat-based diet because of that. So let's talk about where a dog starts breaking down protein because a lot of people like me would assume that that breakdown happens in the gut, mm-hmm. but you and I talking beforehand, there's a big component in a dog for meat way before the gut. That's right. Yeah, um, a dog uh, will, in their saliva, the, they will emit the enzyme protease, which is what breaks down meat protein. Um, and it doesn't, um, it doesn't emit the uh, enzymes that break down carbs in its saliva. So that kind of tells you something. Right. They, it wants to start breaking that down. Now, carbs do take a lot longer to break down than, um, than meat proteins do. And that's something that's really interesting about pets, uh, around dogs and cats. Um, a cat's and a, a cat's digestive tract is only uh, four times the length of its body, right. and a dog's is only six times the length of its body. Right. Um, compare that to a cow, where its digestive tract is thirty times the length of its body. So, so the longer that, the digestive tract, the more surface area you got to break down the food. That's right. So it would make sense that your omnivores are going to have a way bigger, longer kind of digestive tract than your typical carnivore. Right. And the longer, the more absorption you get as well. That's a big key to that. So. Okay. So would it be safe to assume that with dogs, protein is the most important and that it fillers um, are probably just hard to digest and tougher on dogs. Yeah, it is. In fact, dogs that are, are primarily fed the cheaper fillers, corn, wheat, and soy, a lot of times they will struggle with things like pancreatitis. Yep. Uh, your pancreas is what uh, emits enzymes that will break down your um, the different types of ingredients that are in food. You know, your your fats, your you know, are the lipids, your proteins, and you know when your pet is is healthy. The pancreas can do everything it needs, but on a lot of the cheaper foods that are full of fillers, you have to feed so much more food that the pancreas is just working overtime to, to emit these enzymes. And so it, it essentially overworks itself. Right. And that's also where me as a dog trainer will talk about the size of a pile in the backyard. Yes. That's you right. know, a lot of times people, they feed all this food to their dog and they have these huge piles in the backyard. <clears throat> That's not a sign of good health necessarily. I mean, that's a sign that there's a lot of stuff coming in that never got used. It's coming out the back end. Yeah. Um, theoretically, you want soft, you want nice, small, firm stools. Right. And when you see your dog not having those things, that's when we have to start looking at nutrition and things like that. You know, we were talking about earlier some of the uh, dog foods. Um, I don't know that you could call them sugars, but, you know, your dog, just like we get hooked on junk food, dogs can get hooked on junk food. Um, but it's not true sugar, is it? Well, in order to get energy, um, your body will break down and the pet's body will break down everything to a type of a sugar, essentially. Okay. So, yes, it is. But there's, uh, you know, that's where you hear the term uh, low glycemic yep. and high glycemic. So meats are, are lower glycemic. Different ones, uh, they range on how they break down. Right. Um, but when you have an ingredient like a white potatoes, they're right. even more so than a sweet potato. It's considered high glycemic. So if a food has a lot of uh, potatoes in it, white potatoes, and your dog eats that, it's going to turn to sugar right away. And so your dog's going to get a sugar rush. Um, same with a bunch of corn and uh, wheat. So 
basically um, one of the things that we've seen is transitioning a dog from the cheapest of the dog foods out there that are just um, have coloring in them and just, you know, they're, they're $10 for a 30 pound bag. You, it's harder to transition them from that to a, a, a super healthy food because their dog has become addicted to the sugar rush that it gets from the food. Trying to convince me not to eat a Big Mac and hand me a salad. That's right. That's okay. right. So I, I guess one thing I do want to, from a dog trainer standpoint, how can people who are listening to this think about food and the way it will affect behavior? Well, just like that. Um, if you give a kid a, a bowl of Lucky Charms, they're going to be hyper. They're, you're not going to be able to do much with them for, you know, half hour to an hour. They're just going to be running around. Uh, so just like that, if you can feed a food that is healthier, um, better nutrition, you yeah. feed less and um, they aren't going to be so off the wall. So kind of what we were talking to earlier. Okay. And then I guess one other thing to talk about, just one of my things about dog food what I tell my clients all the time is when you look at the bag of a bag, the back of a bag of dog food and you look at the feeding guidelines, mm -hmm. I always tell my clients to consider that dog food companies are in the business to sell dog food mm -hmm. and that many of them will overfeed. Right. Um, and in, when me doing all my hand feeding and things like this, you know, I had a client that has a 40 or 50 pound dog and they were trying to feed five cups of dog food to the dog a day. And the dog was leaving food in the bowl and wasn't interested in it. I know that we we always preach this, the better the dog food, the less dog food you actually need because mm -hmm. it's quality ingredients. <clears throat> but but how does that even get decided? How much, you know, food on the back of a dog food? How does that label work? Sure. Well, the AAFCO is the, the governing body of pet food. And what that they do is they look at the calories that are in the uh, bag of food, and they will determine a range of what they feel is a normal amount for you to feed. Um, on the, the dry food that we sell, Nature Select Pet Food, it's what they came up with was really way too much. Um, now, puppies will eat a lot more than adults. Right. A lot of foods nowadays, uh, because of the AAFCO guidelines, they recommended most foods out there be all life stages. Well, in doing that, um, they've had to bump up what it shows in the back of the bag, what they recommend. And if you were to feed a dog and say a 60 pound dog, what they recommend in the back of our food now, it would either have loose stool because you're feeding too much or it would get um, grossly overweight. Right. So we actually are having to explain that to people when they buy the food and transition to not feed nearly as much as they recommend. So it's a little tricky. It is, but you know, this is this is a good thing to understand. You know, I'm always preaching that veterinarians and trainers should be working together, mm -hmm. and veterinarians and trainers and nutritional experts like yourself that deal in the dog food. If we could get everybody on the same page and talking, you know, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that some of these things that are occurring with our dogs: obesity, loose stools, um, upset tummies. Um, if we would call our trainer, then the trainer should turn around and tell them to call the veterinarian. And if the veterinarian was smart enough to know a good nutritionalist that understands dog food, you know, we could all be working together and you know, helping out a lot. But I mean, it, it's the mere fact that uh, what's the percentage of dogs that are now obese in, our, in, in the world? Well, from what I understand, it's over 50%, but yeah. I was talking to a veterinarian last month and he said about 65% of his patients have overweight dogs. You know, and you know, for me, I always tell people the leaner and meaner you keep a dog, the longer they live. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, you know, and 
selfishly, I want all my dogs to live as long as possible. So absolutely. Uh, one thing that I want to cover before our little 12 minute time period is over. Um, something I found out about five years ago that I had no idea. Some of the ingredients that are in dog food would never be allowed in human consumption. And, and the one that I know of, and maybe you can speak to it and some others, is propylene glycol. Um, before I was a dog trainer, I worked in the automotive field and regular regular antifreeze is ethylene glycol and it is super deadly to a dog mm -hmm. they came out with propylene glycol which is a safe antifreeze supposedly and all that means is it just takes more to to, to kill a dog right. but they use propylene glycol as a softening agent in a lot of soft dog foods and treats mm -hmm. are there any other things that we should be as consumers looking at our ingredients i mean as I've gotten older, I read the ingredients on what I put in my mouth a lot more than I did 20 years ago. But what are the things we should be looking at on the back of an ingredient label for our dogs? Yeah, there are a lot of them, actually. They do allow a lot more things in pet food than I think they should. <clears throat> That's one of them that you're talking about, and in pet treats. Um, the different colorings that they have in some foods and in treats, if, if um, we recommend just natural coloring, like, you know, beet juice or something like that. Any of the, like the red dye forty, any of uh, any of the food colorings, it's it's not a big deal if you were to eat a blue cookie, right? It's but if you were to eat that every day for your life, that wouldn't be good. Uh, other things, one thing is that's really important. There's a, a synthetic version of vitamin K called minidione, and that's in a lot of lower end dog foods, and that actually is causing liver toxicity, and so we see that. Um, you know, you're seeing a lot of less uh, ethoxyquin, which is a preservative in, in fish. So that's not um, as big, as common as something that, but that was killing dogs. Um, and then you're probably hearing a lot about um, the um, the aflatoxin recalls. Yeah. Well, that's those mm. that grows naturally on um, grains like corn. And so that's really something that you might want to avoid. Any, any uh, dog food that has corn, I'd probably avoid. Well, we got it in, and if I can figure out how to turn off my uh, alarm, uh, we hit our 12 minutes. Um, as with any of these these podcasts we're doing, we want this to be listener-driven. So if you heard something in this podcast that you have questions about or you want more information about, um, send us an email. Um, you can go through kissdogtraining.com. You can also go through Nature Select Kansas City, right? It's nskansascity.com. nskansascity.com. <clears throat> shoot us emails um, with specific questions or things that you want us to cover. Um, we will have some of um, the nutritional nuggets um, that Emory does every week. I'll have a training tip each week, and uh, we'll be here each and every month until we're crazy enough to do two a month, and uh, we'll, we'll see where this goes. We're having um, fun. It's, it's getting more and more fun, and it feels like we're uh, making some progress. It helps when you have a 17-year-old teenager that knows more about technology than I do. So I'll give my kid a shout-out. He's helping us uh, advance at a rapid pace. But Thanks, Dylan. That is our 12-minute dog podcast for the month of February. Let's take a minute to meet our sponsors. KISS Dog Training stands for Keep It Simple, Stupid. We are Kansas City's train the owner, not the dog company. Just call us at 913-269-7595 for more details. And now, back to the podcast. 
Guys, hi, it's Mike with Kiss Dog Training, and I'm here for my monthly training tip. Um, okay, so there is a big difference between puppy training and adult dog training, and we have been getting it backwards for a lot of years in dog training. Um, we do a great job with puppies. We socialize them. We introduce them to people in uniforms and, you know, loud noises and trash bags and you name it. The problem is that we keep that socialization idea going and going and going until we have created a dog with zero impulse control. Um, if all we ever do is fun stuff where they get to go and they get to meet everybody and they get to say hello and they're never frustrated, that's going to be a key word in this tip, um, then you end up with dogs who can become reactive, nippy, even bite. So I think it's really important that at about the age of six months, we start to work on impulse control with dogs and them not always being able to do what they want. For me, it's the importance of the command, leave it. Um, I don't think leave it should be a no, no bad dog command where the dog is punished, but I do think that leave it should be an incredibly important redirection command where if my dog is looking at a squirrel and I say leave it and they flip around and choose to look at me versus the squirrel, I can reward them with a piece of kibble or a piece of liver treat or whatever, and I can teach that dog you don't always get what you want, but there is a redirection back to me paying attention to me and a reward. If you don't teach your dogs, I mean, let me use kids as an example. We will raise our kids and we will teach them that they should be social and fun and have a great time, but there comes that time where every parent says, hey, look, don't get in white panel vans. Don't take candy from strangers. You have to be aware that there's danger in the world and you don't always get what you want. We have to do the same thing with our dogs. Frustration is one of those things dogs have to learn to cope with in a healthy manner. And the way we cope with it in a healthy manner is a good, solid impulse control and leave it command. I have plenty of videos on the website where we can... Um, you can see how leave it is taught and who knows, maybe this becomes a bigger topic later on in the podcast. But my tip for the day is don't socialize. You have to socialize a puppy. If you don't, you're going to have problems. But when they hit about six months, we also have to teach them that they don't always get what they want and that frustration is a normal part of life and that it can be dealt with. So if you've got any other questions, it is Mike at KissDogTraining.com and we will talk to you next month. There's a reason why the only dry food we carry is Nature Select. It's because we feel it is the healthiest, most nutritious pet food for your pet. After 27 years, it's never been recalled and has only gotten better with time. We love it and we know your pet will too. Free home delivery from your favorite local pet food supply. guys, this is Emery with Nature Select Pet Food, and I'm here for the Nutritional Nugget. Okay, well, it's February, and that means it's Dental Pet Health Month, and so we're going to talk about that. Well, we all want our dogs to have pearly white teeth, and also, we always hate it if our dogs have terrible breath. Nobody wants that with themselves or with their pet. So, how do you fix that, and why is it important? Well, firstly, it really is important because plaque and tartar are not only bad for your dog's teeth and gums, it can also spread to their organs through their bloodstream. 
once that happens, it can cause heart issues, it can cause other things, it can make your pet really sick. So your pet's mouth is really an area that you need to keep clean. And how we do that, there's many ways. First of all, I recommend brushing your dog's teeth at least once a week with a good enzymatic toothpaste. The enzymatic toothpaste will stay on there for a while and it will help reduce tartar and plaque and also help with your, your pet's breath. We also recommend plaque zappers fizzies. We sell those. That's just a powder that you can put in your pet's water every couple days. That really helps reduce tartar and plaque. But then probably the best and most natural way is I recommend uh, marrow bones, raw marrow bones. We sell them frozen. And if you, it's been found that if you give those to your dog once about every four days with them chewing on it, trying to get the marrow out, it really will decrease the tartar and the plaque. And the enzymes, protease, that's, disc, that's excreted in their saliva will also help do that as well. So those are just some simple ideas, some, some great ways to do that. And I would impress on you that the sooner the better with all these things. As your dog ages, tooth decay is a big problem. We have a lot of dogs. We see a lot of dogs that have very few teeth left, which makes it harder to eat, harder to get proper nutrition. So while it may not be fun to brush your dog's teeth, Mike could help with that to give you some tips on how to uh, get your dog to actually like it and enjoy it. And we just really recommend that. So guys, if you have any questions or would like to give some opinions on what you'd like to see on the Nutritional Nugget, please drop me a line. My email address is emery at nskansascity.com. Thanks a lot and have a great day.